0: Well, hey, everyone, this is definitely different than how I pictured it when Heidi asked me to uh, speak at this meeting months and months ago, and I know some of you pretty well, and some of you I've never been able to meet before since I haven't come to any meetings this year, so I thought I'd take a quick second to introduce myself first. Um, My name is Rachel Pereira, and my husband is one of the pastors at Covington Baptist Church. Both my husband, Adam, and I grew up in Florida, and through a variety of different life changes, we ended up here in Pennsylvania, and we have four children. Uh, We have three boys and one girl. The boys are 11, eight, and four and a half months old, and our little girl is right there in the middle. She's five Going on 15, um, so my goal today is to keep this as short as possible because I'm sure many of you are desperately missing the mom kid, the mom connect kids care uh, workers right now. So I'll jump right in and hopefully I won't get interrupted here on my end either. Uh, my husband and I were married before his last year of seminary. And during this time, we lived in a furnished apartment on campus, which meant that we didn't have to buy any large furniture. We didn't have to get couches or a bed. Uh, after he graduated, he was accepted as an assistant pastor at a church in Virginia. And my in-laws graciously offered that we swing by their house on our way to pick up a couch and a loveseat and a recliner and some other things that they didn't need anymore. And to a strapped for couch, newlywed couple, uh, this sounded awesome. Now, my brother-in-law was also a graduate student at the college where we lived. So he planned to tag along with us on our ride down to Orlando uh, for his summer break. We loaded up all of our belongings on a big yellow Penske truck, which my husband would drive, and then I was going to follow behind with Jimmy, my brother-in-law, in our gigantic forest green Cadillac. Now, how a newlywed couple had a leather-seated Cadillac, which I miss dearly, uh, in their first year of marriage—that's that's a whole other story. But it's important for you to understand, in the context of this story, uh, to remember how you might have. Felt when you were first married, those of you who are. Jimmy and I got along great. Uh, We knew each other a little bit in college, but we really hadn't experienced much of life together as a family yet. Now, 15 years later, we've spent Christmases together, family vacations, we've gone through deep valleys like cancer and family turmoil during that time, making us truly have a bond of family now. But on this little road trip, we were basically acquaintances. The road trip went great. Jimmy and I didn't have any awkward silences on the way. Both the car and the truck were breakdown free. In fact, we were almost to Adam's parents home when it happened. We had exited the highway and we were driving on residential streets about five minutes from our destination. And as we sat at a red light, a police car pulled up behind me, and almost immediately its lights started flashing. And I looked over at Jimmy. I was kind of confused. I knew that there's no way that those lights could have been for me. I knew I hadn't been speeding because I was following the slower Penske truck up in, ahead of me. What in the world could be wrong? So as the light turned green, my husband and the big yellow truck pulled on through the light and down on the road, and I turned into a gas station. My husband up ahead was oblivious to my plight. As the officer approached my window, my heart just started pounding. This is the first time I had been pulled over in my short driving life, and I was freaking out. He continued to inform me that our Florida registration had expired over two months before. Somehow, we never received a reminder to renew, and neither Adam or I even thought to check. As he headed back to his car to fill out the paperwork, I lost it. I mean, I just started sobbing. And I was shaking, it all, shaking all over. I could not hold it together anymore. And poor Jimmy was at a complete loss. How in the world was he supposed to comfort his hysterical new sister-in-law? And I can remember him calling Adam and calmly explaining that uh, we had a slight problem and uh, Adam offered to turn around and drive back. Should he come back to help me? No, no, he didn't need to do that. I was fine. Jimmy asked me what I needed. Should he drive the rest of the way to the house? No, no, I was fine. And I was an emotional wreck the whole rest of the day. Any time I would think about it, um, I'd get choked up and my in-laws told me, hey, don't worry about it. It happens to everybody. And I remember saying, I know, I know, I'm fine. I was trying to convince my new family and probably mostly myself that I was fine. I was capable of pulling myself together. I could brush off the insecurity that uh, accompanied this big move and this new ministry. I could hold it all together. And over the years I've realized that I'm fine is a defense mechanism of mine. In fact, it would be a huge temptation to come to a meeting like this and do everything I can to look put together and wiser than all of you watching. But my goal this morning is actually completely the opposite. I want to convince you that I'm not fine. In fact, none of us are fine. I wanna point our eyes to the one who is completely perfect. I want to leave you today more in awe of Christ and his sufficiency in your life than when you got up this morning. And if that happens, I will consider today's video a gigantic success. We love putting on the air of fine and the separation between our real and honest selves, and our ideal self is almost automatic in our lives. For instance, consider our profile pictures in this social media age. Do any of us use pictures of ourselves when we first wake up, bedhead and all, Do we snap pictures of our frozen pizza and goldfish dinner because we simply didn't have the energy to make anything more gourmet? And even the pictures that we take that are supposed to be real life posts are framed in a certain way to almost make the mess that our kids made all over the walls seem cute or artistic. Do you bring your I'm fine cloak with you to mom connect meetings? It's so easy to casually chat with others before and after the meeting, but then rarely show how you've failed again in your anger with your kids or how seasonal depression is hitting you so hard again. Because we love being fine, we sometimes struggle when someone stops by our home unexpectedly. I can remember a particularly crazy day. It was all I could do to keep my head above the waves of toddler messes and sibling fights. My friend stopped by and I was so grateful for some adult interaction with her. And before she left, she asked if she could use our bathroom and of course I said she could. Short, shortly after she left, I walked into the bathroom and I found that it was a complete mess. There was toothpaste all over the sink, a uh, little boy mess covered the toilet, and clothes, including dirty underwear, were strewn across the floor from earlier that morning, and I was so, so embarrassed. The temptation to be fine isn't just isolated to our modern culture, though. And this morning, we're going to look at a few examples from scripture together. You can just listen along as I read. I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 4, where we have the record of the first children in the Bible. Their names were Cain and Abel. And when they grew up, they each had responsibilities in this new world. Cain took care of the flocks, and Abel was a farmer. When it came time to present offerings to God, most likely the the first fruits of their labor, they each offered something different. Let's start reading at verse 3. Now, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Quite the story, right? Now, if we were to continue studying this passage, uh, we'd actually find an awesome example of God's grace and protection to Cain, even despite his huge, huge sin problem, but that's a different talk. Uh, it's easy for us to read this passage and just conclude that Cain was in trouble because he offered the wrong kind of sacrifice. Abel must have had it right by offering an, uh, a lamb from his flock, but we would actually miss the point if we stopped there. We see a theme throughout the Bible that God is always concerned with the heart first. If this was truly just an innocent mistake that Cain made, we wouldn't see such a violent reaction from him later, including the first murder in history. He was hoping that he was fine by doing things his own prideful way. Then if we hop way over to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 26, we see another example of the I'm fine disease. Matthew 26 is another familiar passage, and it actually talks about the Last Supper, which occurs shortly before Jesus would head to the cross. Now, this is the week before Easter. It's kind of gonna be a strange Easter for many of us, but this passage happens uh, right around the time that, that we celebrate Jesus's death and his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus has already revealed in this passage to his disciples that Judas, one of the 12 disciples, would betray him into the hands of the religious leaders. And um, in verse 31, uh, we read that Jesus said to them that one of them was going to fall away. One of them was going to deny him. And uh, we pick up in verse 31 um, it says then jesus told them this very night you will fall away on account of me for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after i have risen i will go ahead of you to galilee and this is peter's answer peter is one of the 12 disciples he says even if all fall away on account of you i never will Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So if you know the story, you know that in a few hours, Peter does deny Christ three times. He and the other disciples weren't as fine as they thought they were. The temptation to wear the I'm fine cloak can be seen in our thinking, in our relationships, in our daily interactions. And unfortunately, although I would love to, I don't have time to get into all those different areas this morning. So I want to focus on the most dangerous outworking of the I'm fine lie, which is when we think that we can be fine in the eyes of God. Let me share a few verses with you that you may have heard before. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, there is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. And finally, Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's pretty depressing, right? You are not fine. You're not fine as a mom you're not fine as a wife, you're not fine as a coworker. you're not fine as a daughter, you are not fine as a human being. Before we can grow and change, before we can truly grasp the good news, which I promise we'll get to, we have to be humbled by the bad news. It's okay if you feel weak or broken right now the feeling of inadequacy that you may be experiencing right now is exactly where God wants you. You are not fine. And we will soon see in just a few minutes that that is the beauty of the gospel. Now, before I had kids, I was a teacher. I was never a cool teacher, but I would be lying if I didn't at least say that I thought it was cool when my students wanted to hang out with me outside of the classroom. One beautifully sunny afternoon, they invited me to play kickball with them during recess. And I quickly agreed, never taking into account the fact that I was wearing a skirt and heels that day. As I ran up to the pitch, my foot turned in a rut in the ground and I twisted my knee in the most awkward position. I had never experienced that kind of pain in my life. I thought that I might throw up right in front of my students and that would have been really cool, right? (laughs) Now my poor class felt so bad for me that they huddled around me as I writhed in pain on the ground. Soon, my husband came to rescue me by driving that same uh, green Cadillac across the soccer field to where I was still sitting. Once again, I repeated to anybody who would ask me about my well-being, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about me. Later that evening after the doctor wrapped my sprained knee and gave me crutches for the next seven days, I refused to take the prescription medication that he had given me. Uh, Even though my leg was still terribly throbbing, I was fine. A little over-the-counter Tylenol would be enough. And if I'm honest, that knee has not been fine ever since. So we've already established through the scripture that we read together this morning that just like that sprained knee of mine, we are all crippled with the disease of failure. The good news is that in Christ, those deficiencies have been redeemed and restored to bring ultimate glory to the one who always has been and always will be completely fine. Let me read to you another passage um, from the middle of the Bible, Psalm 26. Uh, This is a Psalm of David, and we'll talk a little bit more of that in just a second. But verses 1 and 2 say this. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. In this passage... King David holds up all of the good he's done. He's lived a life generally marked by principle and faith in God. Later in this chapter, he even compares his behavior with that of the wicked. Look how they live. I don't even hang out with them. But his mind Could easily convince itself that he was fine. But verse two of this prayer is really, really critical. To try or to test something actually comes from a Hebrew word alluding to examining metals. It's the process of melting the metal so that all the impurities or the dross come to the top so that they can be removed. And God or David, excuse me, actually asks God to verify his goodness. He invites him to analyze the motives behind his actions. He says, test my heart and my mind. This talks about his innermost being, his inclinations, his disposition. There's no hiding behind the mask of fineness with his request. Instead of resting on his own interpretations of his mind, he ends by praising the unchanging nature of God's love, and determining to walk in God's faithfulness, not his own. His foot is stable on solid flat ground because of the Lord's working and the Lord's steadfast love. Let me explain it a little differently. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's pretty depressing again, right? But if you were to read down a few verses later in that chapter, Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. And this is the good news that we've been trying to get to. We have somebody who can actually do something about the sickness in our hearts. Maybe you're listening today and you you are just struck with the realization that you're not fine. But it's not just because of the coronavirus pandemic fear. It's not just because your kids are driving you nuts. It's not just because you're worried for a family member, but you realize that you're not fine deep down in your soul. You need something outside of yourself to rescue you from yourself. Maybe you've been attending Mom Connect for quite a while now. Maybe you even came back when it was still mops. Maybe you have friends who call themselves Christians or you've attended services at local churches now and then. You've heard the name Jesus, but you've never been formally introduced to him. Well, today is the day. Jesus is God who put on human flesh in order to live among us here on earth. He lived his 33 years here without a single misstep or misbehavior. He had no sin at all. He displayed his heavenly love and his power to those all around him by healing the sick, raising the dead, and mending broken hearts. He was falsely accused of wrongdoing and faced the punishment that was reserved for the worst of criminals back then, and even then he didn't try to defend himself. His final breath on the cross was taken bearing the heavy, heavy weight of sin committed by every man, every woman, every child throughout all of history. And this bearing the weight of sin, taking the punishment for all of humanity, caused God the Father to turn his face away from him. Their relationship was severed because of my sin and because of your sin. The story, though, doesn't end with his death. After three days in an Israeli tomb, he rose again, conquering death and sin. His work of redemption was finished. I love what the book of John says. Uh, It shares Jesus' words with us. And in it, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The relationship that I have with Jesus is not an exclusive friendship. In fact, his work on the cross that we just talked about was completed for you. The beautiful thing about his love is the fact that you don't need to introduce yourself to him. He already knows you and everything about you. He is both your creator and your redeemer. And he proved the depth of his love for you through his sacrifice on your behalf. He made a way for you to have a relationship with a holy God, which could never be done by your own efforts. 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sin, your brokenness, your need for a rescuer, that he is faithful and just to forgive you. You may have heard the term gospel before, and that just means good news. And the gospel isn't just a ticket to everlasting life with God. It's not just the doorway we walk through to get on to bigger and better things. The gospel is the Christian walk. In the same way that I am helpless to earn my salvation, I'm helpless in my growth. There's nothing that I will ever do that will make me God, that will make God love me any more or any less in His eyes, through christ's sacrifice, I am complete i 'm whole i'm perfect. This plays out on a daily basis in my life when I'm confronted with my constant failures, with my constant sin. It's in those moments of weakness and brokenness that I'm learning to preach the gospel to myself. Yes, I am a wicked sinner. I deserve eternal punishment and separation from God, but Christ has already lived a perfect life for me. I can serve, I can give out of a heart that is overwhelmed with his goodness and grace. I can confess my shortcomings while knowing that my identity is secure in Christ. And even after more than 30 years as a follower of Jesus, I can transparently say that I am not fine. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Hebrews 10, 19 19 through 23 says these final things I'll share with you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. My friends that I can't see right now, it is only in Christ that we can truly say, I'm fine.